Would you join me in prayer this morning before we have our message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. She remembers sitting on the front porch in the hillside country, the hill country of Judea, as she was expecting. And like most women do, as they feel the babe growing within them, they wonder. They wonder what the future will hold. What the future will hold for the country, what the future will hold for this little one that is growing inside. They dare to dream even about what this little one might achieve, what they might become, what they will be able to do, the impact they'll have on the world on friends, on family, on neighbors. They wonder about the talents, the gifts, the abilities. Oftentimes they wonder about gender, but this was already determined with this one, which is surprising in the ancient world to know the gender even before conception. But she remembers sitting and thinking about her little boy what would he look like? What would he be like? What would his voice sound like? Who would he grow up to be? As she, in the years to come, watched him grow, he started into a job in his early teens. He became an apprentice, like young men did back then. He was good at it. She watched him work. She was proud of him and his abilities. And then something strange happened around his 30th birthday. He moved out of town. He moved to the wilderness. He started to wear strange clothes. And he ate locust and honey. I guess it'd be the equivalent of when we have 30-year-olds move back into the basement at mom and dad's. But this, of course, is John the Baptist, and I'm sure Elizabeth and Zechariah were a tad bit taken back by his course of action around his 30th birthday. I'm sure it was alarming, shocking, surprising. This is not what they had dreamt of for their son and his calling, his abilities, his gifts, his talents. If you would have asked them, what do you wish for your son, for your children? They would have said, oh, I hope that they're happy. I mean, that's what most parents say today, even, that they hope for their children. I hope that he's happy. I hope that he finds meaning and purpose in life. But sometimes when a child finds meaning and purpose in life, it is flying in the face of what mom and dad think happiness 
and purpose and meaning in life means. And such was the case with John. Now I have no idea, and the scriptures are silent as to whether Elizabeth lived to see her son take such a drastic course of action. But it's fun to think about, isn't it? Just to place yourself in the story in a way that we typically don't think. When we jump into the story of John the Baptist and you're wondering, we heard from Isaiah, how does this attach to that? Well, we'll be in Mark chapter 1. And Mark introduces us to John the Baptist. And John, how Mark introduces him, he says this in verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. But he also mashes together a couple of quotes from other parts of the Old Testament. And before you get concerned and think, oh, you know, this is where the skeptics and the atheists jump on us Christians about how the Bible is unreliable and how, you know, it's got all these mistakes in it. Hold your horses. You know how kids nowadays are listening to music that mashes up all these different genres that used to have nice, you know, neat categories? When I was in high school, that was about the time rap music was starting to become a thing in popular culture. And in Colorado, we had a country station, KYGO. And tons of people listened to KYGO. And those kids, the country music kids, would have never listened to rap and hip hop. And a few years ago, something strange started to happen with country music and rap and hip-hop. I was watching the Country Music Awards, and all of a sudden this country rapper guy came out and started to rap to a country song. It was on purpose, by the way. (laughs) It, It wasn't like he was, you know, he wasn't like just showing up unexpected. It, it, was, it was actually written. It was part of the song. It was a mashup. And I thought, oh my goodness, this never would have happened in high school. Those two groups would have fought over this. Like, they just didn't like each other. And so we see these mashups in our culture. And John is thinking about these texts from the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit is causing him to activate these prophecies from the Old Testament. And he's telling us that what I'm about to tell you hooks up to that story that we ourselves, Israel, find ourselves in today. And so he's hooking it up to Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah 40 and Exodus 23. And he grabs pictures and words and language from each of those texts. And he's wanting to activate something in his readers, his listeners. And so he continues and he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. We've already been alerted. This was prophesied in the 8th century B.C. by Isaiah, 
seven, eight hundred years prior to the event of it actually occurring, there's been a prophecy saying there's going to be a voice from the wilderness that appears in Israel. And now Mark, our author, is telling us that that voice is John the baptizer. This long-awaited voice. This voice that comes from the wilderness. And his message is what? Now we got to keep reading for that. So John appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Saying it was a big deal. He's becoming noticed. And folks are taking notes and they're taking time off work and they're going out to hear what he has to say. And it says they were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. They go out to John. They hear his message. A, a preaching for the baptism, for the salvation, for the, for the uh, repentance of sins. Where are they going? They're going to the wilderness. That language wilderness should activate something in us, but it doesn't because we're not good old Hebrews. Uh, but if I were to, I'm, I'm learning about the language and, and the terms that activate things in people here. So if I were to say the cities that activate something in you, when you're from Denver, that doesn't activate anything in you. But when you move here to Cavalier and you say the cities, and people are like, oh, yeah, the cities. And that means something. I'm still learning what that means. One of the things that mean, it means is they vote different than the folks in Cavalier. It's one of the things it means. Another thing it means is it's a nice place to visit, not a nice place to live. One of the, nice, one of the other things it means is, uh, you know, that's where you go if you want to see, you know, professional hockey. Unless you're a Jets fan, then you go north. <laughs> It's where you go to see the Vikings play a home game on Sunday. It's where you go to see the Twins play. The cities activates certain thoughts and ideas in our minds and concepts. And I don't even have to talk much about it. I just have to say the cities and boom, all this stuff activates in your mind. And the same thing happened with the ancient Hebrews when you said the wilderness. One of the things that activated was the Exodus story. Because the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they wandered around in the wilderness. And how long did they get to wander around in the wilderness? Forty years. Talk about a nice place to visit, but not a place to live. The wilderness. And I don't know what word activates wilderness for folks in Cavalier. But I think it's that stretch of highway. If you've ever driven through Utah... And there's that stretch of highway on I-70 just west of Green River. And our government has put up signs that says no services for the next 100 miles. And they put these signs up again and again and again before you get to Green River so that you don't end up on that 100 mile stretch on fumes on your tank of gas. Or you're hungry or you're tired, or you get stranded, a snowstorm happens. That's wilderness today in our day and age. In the ancient world, 
The wilderness would have been like the desert. It was desolate. and Nobody lived out there. There were wild animals. You went out there to die. You went out there to be tested. And again and again in the Old Testament, folks went out to the wilderness. And this theme keeps being activated in the Gospels. John comes from the wilderness. The people leave the city and their homes and they come out to the wilderness to hear his preaching. You know, we find ourselves today, and this is so important during the season of Advent, because Advent, as much as our our culture wants us to jumpstart to Christmas, as much as we think of Advent as as preparation, like just, well, you've got to get over these hurdles so you get to Christmas. As much as we want to just jump and get there and celebrate and enjoy the scriptures and the wisdom of the church keeps pulling the reins and it keeps saying, no, 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 no. You live in wilderness. You live in wilderness. Another word for this that the ancient people use, that the Old Testament uses, that the, the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel uses, is, and ransom captive Israel, who is in exile. Another word for wilderness is exile. And my guess is this Advent season, I don't have to work really hard to help you understand that you and I live in wilderness. You're like, gee, yeah, we've been living in wilderness since, like, when was that, March? Actually, you've been living in wilderness your entire life. You've been living in exile. You've been estranged from God. You've been estranged from the purposes and the purpose and the way God made the world. We've all been estranged from that our entire lifetime. We've never seen a tree the way it was meant to truly be. How do I know that? Because one of the Old Testament prophecies is that there's coming a day when the trees will clap their hands in rejoicing that God is present. That the Apostle Paul in Romans says that all of creation groans. That all of creation is in pain. That all of creation is, is somehow broken. Who broke it? The ones at the top of the food chain broke it. Humanity broke it. And you see, this is all activated by John when he's out in the wilderness and he calls people to the wilderness and it's all activated in his, in his preaching, a baptism for the forgiveness, the repentance of sin. You see, one of the things that we have to do when we enter into wilderness, when we live lives in wilderness, in exile, is we have to be super honest about what got us In our day and age, we are super, super excited and happy to point at the other, to blame the other for the predicament we're in. You know, if it wasn't for those folks, then I wouldn't have to do this. If it wasn't for those people, I would have gotten ahead. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have this. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't. And we just go on and on and on and on. Did anybody watch any of the political cycle that just occurred? Did anybody watch any of the news that's been going on about where the virus came from and who's to blame for all that? And my response would be, no, viruses just happen. It's part of a fallen world. It's a part of a broken world. And who's to blame for the broken world? 
We've all played a role in breaking this world. We've all played a part in the destruction of God's good creation. And if you can't admit that, if you cannot see that, let me quote John to you where he says, if anyone says they are without sin, they are a liar. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says the Apostle Paul. All of us have gone astray. And we all need to recognize this wilderness we've created. And we all need to walk to this path of forgiveness, of confession, of repentance. You know, when we confess, all we're doing is agreeing with God about who we really are. When we confess our sin, it's not like God is sitting up in there in heaven and going, oh, geez, man, I had not heard that one. Wow, ooh, that was a doozy. I don't know about that. I might have to, right? In fact, your worst day, your worst moment, your worst decision, your worst comment, your worst, he was there. He saw it all. And it didn't scare him away. It didn't cause him to turn his back on you. It didn't cause him to go, well, I'm done with them. In fact, what did he do? He moved towards you. He moves towards the mess in our lives. And the way I know that is because I keep reading this book over and over again. And in Mark, it tells me that God sent Jesus. Sometimes when you hear preachers, when you listen to different Christians talk about the gospel, you think that John 3.16 says this, For God so hated the world that he killed his only begotten Son. That is such a terrible rendition of that, isn't it? Because it says God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So when we confess our sin, we're just, we're just getting on the same page with God. And the wilderness, a year like 2020, is meant to wake us up. I don't know if you've ever gone to counseling. I know counseling gets a bad rap, but you know what counseling is? Counseling is just paying somebody to do this to you. Wake up! Stop acting like that! Knock it off! That's what counseling is. A good pastoral counselor, that's all I do. Stop it. Knock it off. Be nicer. You know, confess your sins. And John shows up, and that's what he's doing. He shows up to the children of Israel, to the Hebrews in the wilderness. And by the way, I love the next piece of, of information we get from John and from Mark, where it says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around the waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, John is only 16 chapters long. I think what happened is John went out and he bought a really short scroll. And so when he writes his letter, when he writes his book, he keeps using the words immediately. 
Did you notice we don't start with Jesus and angels and, you know, God bless you, merry gentlemen. We don't start with the Christmas story. He gets us right into, all right, there's this guy. He showed up in camel hair, a leather belt, ate locusts and wild honey. Moving on. Then Jesus showed up and John baptizes him. Then moving on, then Jesus went out to the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by Satan. All right, immediately after that, and John just keeps bam, 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 bam. And when he stops and slows down and gives us something like a description of what somebody looks like or how they dress, one of the things we need to realize is if it's weird, it's important. And it's weird that John would slow down. He never gives us a description of Jesus, what he wore, or what he what kind of belt he had. But John, he stops and he says, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around him. And once again, he's wanting to activate something in the culture. And one of the other characters that you read about that dressed similarly is Elijah, the prophet. It's like, oh, we know who this guy is. We know who he's acting. In fact, the Old Testament prophecy said that Elijah will come first, the prophet Elijah will come, and then the Lord will come. That's all being activated here with, with John the Baptist. You know, as I think about these texts, this is about the only time of the year that the church kind of camps out on them is during the season of Advent. And, and, and many times, and especially this year, it feels like to me that folks have been chopping at the bit to celebrate Christmas. We've been getting the trees up and the decorations up. And, you know, I, I went for walks at night before it got super cold, and, and it's not super cold, I realize that. <laughs> I did go out for a walk when it was 10 degrees and realized I need long johns for that walk. <laughs> But as I walk in and I've seen the lights, I've seen Main Street, and it's just gorgeous, it's beautiful. I'm excited and ready for Christmas. But the church, the calendar says, even on Christmas Day this year, gang, COVID will still be here. You'll wake up December 26th, some folks will be leaving town and boarding planes against all recommendations from CDC and all these guidelines, and our celebration will have come to an end. And we will wake up and we will find ourselves a little more in debt and a few pounds heavier than we wish we were, and we will find ourselves in wilderness still. We will have celebrated well, hopefully, and I pray for each of us that we will have a blessed and wonderful Christmas. But the reality is that until King Jesus returns, we will always be in wilderness. Tomorrow I will officiate a funeral. There are many times that the Christmas season is not the happiest time of the year for people. And perhaps some of you are in that boat. And I'm finding this to be a difficult Christmas season myself. And God lets us walk through wilderness. So we realize we need salvation. 
So we realize we cannot save ourselves by being good, moral Americans. So we realize that we are sinners stuck in a world that is not waiting for a vaccine, though we are waiting for that. But more than that, because there will be more viruses and there will be more illnesses and there will be more death, we are waiting for a Savior to come. And we can't wait for that white candle to be lit forever. Forever and ever. And one of the promises that these old curmudgeony prophets say is there is coming a day when the king will wipe away all tears. He will toss death itself into the fires of hell. And there will be no more weeping, and there will be no more mourning, and there will be no more death. That's a day we're celebrating. So get ready for that day. Prepare for the day of the Lord. So how would we do that? The scriptures make it clear. We pray. We confess. We repent. And we watch. And we wait. We pray. We repent, we wait. Let us wait well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these ancient words. May they strengthen us at this time when many of us are low on strength. We are in desperate need of your help and saving. We ask that you would come. Jesus. We join in the prayers of the saints in the final line of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus.